This morning's passage comes to us from Matthew, the Gospel writer Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, which does not track Luke's account at all, pretty much, other than a few points. Matthew is making his own story to tell through the Gospel, as all the Gospel writers do, and they take the stories and truths and traditions handed to them, and they weave them into the particular gospel, that is to say, good news story that they are promoting and, and, and writing about for us uh, as we now read it 2,000 years later, 2,000 plus. May God open up to us an understanding of the meaning and power in this word. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. He knew he wasn't the father. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. This Christmas day, I would like to do a 15-minute flyover on the issue of angels in the Bible, mainly because I've never really preached on them, and this cool thing about being an interim is I can, I can do things I've not done before and not have to suffer the long-term consequences if it doesn't go well. <laughs> so I want us to look at the presence of angels or the angel in this particular story we just read and also the possibility that angels might actually exist or not. For those who believe literally in the Bible whether they exist or not is not a question. It's in the Bible and it is. From Genesis to Revelation there are angel spottings and angel events all through. Apparently, there are different ranks of angels, cherubim and seraphim and angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, the thrones and principalities and strongholds and powers, all of the heavenly realm. By the way, an archangel is not the second most powerful angel. In some strange irony, an archangel literally is the one who is the second from the bottom. 
Angels in the Bible serve as messengers of both good and bad news. It was the archangel Michael who came to Mary to tell her that she was with child, just as with Joseph to tell him that she was with child and don't divorce her. Joseph in this morning's passage understands that he is not the father, but in really, I think, a profoundly moving point, Joseph resolves to divorce her quietly as to keep her from being disgraced. God, don't you see, I mean, that is such a heartwarming sense of Joseph's goodness. Knowing he's not the father, he didn't know who was until the angel came, but he had already resolved not to divorce her publicly to disgrace her. The angel comes to Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for she has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, you'll call him Jesus. He'll save people from their sins. And you can only imagine Joseph waking up to that. Wow, was that a dream or a vision? Maybe it was an angel. Later in Matthew, after the Jesus Christ presence was made real in the manger and the wise men had left, an angel comes to Joseph again in the dream and warns him that they needed to get up and take the child and his mother and flee Egypt and remain there until I tell you, the angel said, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him, which led to the slaughter of the innocents. If you read in Matthew, it is a very, very tragic and terrible event. And Joseph listened to the angel and got up and took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until Herod had died. Apparently Moses, no, excuse me, Joseph had enough wisdom to listen to his dreams, which goes with the name, because if you read about Joseph in Egypt, it was just that Joseph who received in a dream the seven years of famine that was coming to Egypt along with the seven years of amazing growth. When he told it to the Pharaoh, he was immediately picked up by Pharaoh's court and really became Pharaoh's right-hand man. In the Bible, angels come in all kinds of ways, certainly in dreams, but not just. They show up in ordinary life, sometimes even doing the heavy lifting humans can't do. Like in Matthew's story, when the women were going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' dead body after the crucifixion on that first Sunday, and they worried who would roll away the tomb, Matthew says, suddenly there was a great earthquake for, I always thought the earthquake happened which helped roll the stone away, but I didn't read it close enough. It says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now that's power. In Matthew, angels also do pastoral care while delivering the news, like to the woman or those women who found the tomb empty after his resurrection. Matthew 
says, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, he's not here. And then they become messengers again, for he has been raised and said, come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead and indeed he's going ahead of you to Galilee and there you will see him. This is my message for you. Angels love to bring us messages. Sometimes good ones, sometimes not good ones. In fact, there would not be a Christmas story if not for the angels any more than there could be a Christian uh, Christmas pageant without them. Angels appear all the time in the Bible. It's a daily occurrence. Sometimes they show up when you need them, sometimes they don't. Apparently there's a lot to be afraid of when they do because the first thing out of their mouth is always the same. Do not be afraid. So they're not showing up all the time any more than do angels on earth. There's a story about angels that I think is significant because they're not always so good. William Mule, the ex now late professor at Yale Divinity School, tells the story of visiting his children's church Christmas pageant in the fellowship hall, and everybody sat down and it was packed, and, and the music started and the play began, and three Marys come out dressed in all holding some, it was corporate childbirth apparently, all holding some some baby doll that all three were put into the manger and all that. Why do, why, do, why do Marys always wear blue, by the way? I mean, I can tell you why, but you don't want to hear it. Uh, way back, uh, the Catholic Church would paint the pictures of Mary and Joseph in the particular colors that artists were using because they want, the artists were using that color uh, and wanting to sell their paintings. And so the Catholic Church said, okay, since blue's the big color of the season, which was a big deal back then, let's do Mary in blue. Blue was the hardest color to reproduce. So that's why Mary has blue. Um, that Mary wore blue uh, is probably not the case, but nevertheless, that's the way we dress our, our Marys, right? I noticed our Mary last night had a blue sash on. Um, anyway, she was dressed appropriately. And so the three Marys come out and, and, and they do their thing and kind of kneel by the, by the creche. And then two Josephs come out and looking as bored as ever. And they kind of stomp up there, not wanting to be there. One of them had his finger in his nose. And, and the play continues. Um, then come uh, the animals and they scatter around in all different forms and, and dress and, and then the angels, 20 little angels, wonderful little beautiful little angel girls. Why are angels always girls too? I mean, in the Bible I don't think there's one girl that's an angel. I can't remember. And why are the shepherds always boys? We had a, we had a girl shepherd last night, that was pretty cool. Good for gender equality. And, but the 20 little angel girls come out, you know, in diaphanous, sort of gauzy 
uh, huge out, outfits that their mothers had all put together with bed sheets and you know, you don't cut their arms and they hold their wings out. Sometimes they didn't do so well at our manger rides. Hold your arms out. I kept seeing Annie do this, hold your arms out. That's where you see the wings and they sometimes have a little halo. These 20 little girls come out and, and they find their perfect little places on, I mean, they're perfectly placed on the stage. And then come the shepherds. 20 little boys dressed up in different shepherd outfits and they get up there and when they get up on the stage, all hell breaks loose. Shepherds start pushing and pulling the angels all over the place. Apparently what happened was, during rehearsal, the director had marked zeros for the angels in chalk on the stage for them to stand on, and close by, crosses on the stage for the, for the shepherds to stand on. But when they had rehearsed, they had not worn their outfit. So when the angels got up there, with all these flowing robes, they were hiding the crosses. Finally, after a lot of pushing and shoving, one exasperated shepherd looked over at the director, who by then was apoplectic, and said, these damn angels are stealing all our crosses. <laughs> Sorry. I know you're not supposed to curse in church, but I couldn't really say darn and get the same effect. <laughs> Angels are sometimes like that. They're not always behaving in the Bible. In fact, angels in the Bible are much like us. Remember Clarence Oddbody? You know who he is? It's a wonderful life angel. He's kind of like us too. Kind of goofy, kind of doing it right, kind of not doing it right, having to earn his own wings. Angels in the Bible are all over the place. In fact, you remember the story of Lucifer in Revelation? Lucifer was like angel plus. He was God's right-hand angel, but because you know, power corrupts. Lucifer wanted to be like God, and in trying to steal God's throne, God shoved him back down the steps into the depths of H-E-L-L. Angels like us have it in them. Luke makes it clear that angels are also around in his story. He understood the important role of angels, and he used them as does Paul in his really majority of writings in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul understands the power of angels. In the last 50 years or so, the study and belief in angels, I think, has been making a comeback. It's, it even has a word called angelology. There are angelologists, and you can buy uh, all kinds of books and magazines and connect to all kinds of groups who study and believe in the power and presence of angels. And I'm not saying that angelology can become cult-like. It can, like everything else. But there is a sort of conspiracy theory thing to it that people who clamor about it so much, I think, turn it into an idolatry 
as if it's about angels and not about God. Don't get me wrong, I'm not discounting the presence of angels. I believe that there are angels, although I don't understand it. I think that there are moments and events and occurrences and circumstances in our life, maybe in our dreams or maybe in some other way when we encounter something that is so mysterious yet also so real that we can't discount it as just being a coincidence. But also want to warn us that, you know, if we depend on that kind of messaging intervention from an angel as if we all have our own, you know, our personal angel, then we're just setting ourselves up for disappointment. I can't tell you how many people I, I have encountered who actually believe that they, they have their own personal angel to watch out for them, and, and many of whom, uh, when facing a diagnosis of illness, have decided that they're going to depend uh, on their angel more than they're going to depend on their doctors. I've encountered that more than twice, maybe three or four times. And in every case, as their illness progresses and they get to the place where they can no longer seek medical care, not only are they about to lose their life, they're about to lose their faith because their faith was wrapped up in the intervention of an angel to come and save them. Angels aren't usable like that. Angels like us have their own will and way. They show up when they show up and we can't control it. Paul says in Colossians, all things in heaven and on earth, in heaven and on earth, were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him, that is Christ. Paul brings it all together again and I think the greatest passage of hope in the Bible, that is from Romans, claiming that because of the Holy Spirit in us, we are no different than the angels in heaven. That's the point. Because of the Holy Spirit in us, we are no different than the angels in heaven. We are inspired angels on earth. Paul writes, now you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal body, bodies also through this spirit that dwells in you. You get that? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, we are angel-like. And then he goes on to say, what then are we to say about all these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will not with him also give us everything? Who will bring any charge against God's people? If it is God who justifies, then who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, 
who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us then from the love of God in Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen to this. For I am convinced, Paul is convinced, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In heaven or on earth, the love of God is made real to us such that we cannot be separated from it when we claim it as our own. We are angels on earth to each other and even to ourselves. That is part of the gift of Christmas. So go out into the world and act appropriately. Just try not to steal anybody's crosses. <laughs> Let us pray. Thank you, God, for this day and all that it means, for the way in you we are made more than ourselves, forgiven, loved, saved, even transfigured into spiritual beings through your power. We give thanks for all that it is and all that it will be in Christ's name. Amen.